guys. <clears throat> Might be something weird there. A um, couple of announcements before we get into the word this morning. <clears throat> First, um, Franklin Graham is doing a um, kind of a, a prayer across the nation thing today. Um, just praying for our country and the election and our leaders, etc. And so we're going to join with that at 6 p.m. this evening. Um, the church will be open here. So if anybody wants to come and pray, um, you are welcome to. Um, Karen's super excited about that. Um, and also, we are going to have the church open on um, election day as well. If anybody wants to come and, and pray the church during that day. And then also, it seems like all the announcements are concerning prayer today. Um, 10.30, in between services, there's a, um, a prayer group that meets in the uh, coffee room there. So if you would like to come and um, just pray before church, that would be awesome. And you can see um, Karen or Keith about that, and they can give you some details. I think that's it in regards to announcements. Let's pray. Heavenly Father... We, um, we're so grateful that we can be here today, Lord. So grateful that we can gather in your presence and that we can hear from your word. And Lord, again, we just ask that you would speak to your people. You would speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of your word. Help us to learn the lessons that you have for us from the life of Paul here. We pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. So last week, we really started to dig into um, to the life of Saul Paulos, that, that man from the city of, of Tarsus, that former persecutor of the church who, who got radically converted. And you'll remember that Saul was on his way to Damascus to arrest the believers, arrest the followers of the way. I remember he was coming to, to, uh, to bind them, it says, and to carry them to Jerusalem. And um, on the way, remember that light shines from heaven. And Jesus speaks. And we find Saul of Tarsus, a changed man. And you recall that he was struck blind. And he was led to a certain house on the street called Straight. And he had that divine appointment there. Remember it says that he meets a certain man. A certain disciple named Ananias. And you remember kind of at the same time that Paul was being led to that house, the Lord spoke to Ananias in a vision. And he said, listen, I want you to go to this house and I want you to minister to, to Saul. And so Ananias goes and remember he prays for Saul. Saul is, is healed from that temporary blindness. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he goes out and gets baptized. And that's where we left off. So we're picking up the text here um, today. And um, Saul is a brand new believer at this point. Right? He's just a, in his infancy, in his walk with Christ. He's a, he's a baby Christian. <clears throat> but we're going to see that the Lord is going to use this man to change the world. Right? The world will never be the same after Paul leaves the scene. And so remember... Saul, he has this crazy, amazing conversion experience. And he becomes a child of God. He becomes a part of the family of God. 
And, and we find him here just spending a, a few days with the family. A few days resting, a few days regaining his strength. Remember, he just went through this traumatic experience. He was blind for a few days. He didn't eat, didn't drink. And so we find him here enjoying some fellowship with some of the Christians from Damascus, probably enjoying his first prayer meeting, going to his first worship service, his first time hearing the Bible taught and really understanding what's in there. And so the faith at this point, it's so new to him. And he's so filled with joy. And you may remember that when you first came to Christ. Remember when you first came to the Lord, when you first surrendered your life to him. Everything was so new. And everything was so exciting and so, and so fresh. And Jesus was all that you could think about. Jesus was all that you could talk about. And you may remember, some of you guys, you... You just loved to worship, and you were excited to read your Bible, and any time the church doors were open, you were there. This is, where, this is where Saul is right now, spending time with the Lord, spending time with his people. And some people, as is the case with Saul, that zeal, that passion, it never goes away. <coughs> I know this, um, this guy, his name is Brian McDaniel. And when I met him, he was sort of a, um, sort of a roving missionary. The, the Spirit would lead him, and he would just kind of go all over the world and just evangelize, and, and people would just come to, come to faith in droves, it seemed like. And um, he's a missionary in Haiti now. And, and I went to Haiti a, a while back, and I was teaching a class at the Bible college there, and, and we were talking, and he was just kind of sharing all these just amazing ventures of faith that he's had. And he's... Kind of, a, kind of a quirky guy a little bit, a uh, funny guy. But you know, he was telling me how you know, he would go and all the other missionaries in Haiti and say, you can't go to this area, you can't do this. And he'd say, okay, I won't do it. And then he'd go and he'd do it. And, um, and the Lord would just do amazing things. As he would step out in faith, great things would happen. And, and this guy really reminds me of what the Apostle Paul must have been like. Kind of constant energy, always pushing the envelope in regards to, to what it means to live by faith. Always so passionate about Jesus. And we see, just like, just like Brian there, the Lord used Paul in just spectacular ways. But for some of us, that passion, it can begin to wane a little bit after time, doesn't it? Right? We, we come to the Lord and we're excited, <clears throat> but after a while, that flame starts to burn a little dimmer and a little dimmer, doesn't it? That passion can start to dissipate. It can start to go away a little bit after time. Why does that happen? What happens there? I think the key is this. Whenever you get something new, it's exciting for a while, isn't it? You get a brand new cell phone, you can't wait to call people and talk on it. Or you get a new car, you just want to go for a drive. I remember when I was a kid and I'd get new shoes. I couldn't wait to go to school just so I could stick them out there right, so people could see them. <coughs> but here's what happens. After a while, your screen cracks. After a while, your shoes get dirty. After a while, people are slamming their doors into your car at the parking lot. 
right? And, and, and that, that excitement, that sense of newness, it kind of wears off. And, and I think that that can happen with our faith sometimes. It loses that sense of newness. It sort of becomes familiar. And you're probably familiar with that old expression, <coughs> familiarity breeds contempt. Right? It doesn't matter how amazing something is. After a while, you just sort of get used to it, right? And it sort of becomes no big deal anymore. <clears throat> Before we moved um, to Belize, we lived in North Bend. They were kind of in Snoqualmie area. And every day I would drive past Snoqualmie Falls. And I would see crowds of people out there just staring at the water. And it's like, it's water. It's falling over a rock. Who cares? But the first time I saw it, it was amazing. But when you see it every single day, it kind of loses some of that, <clears throat> is amazingness a word? Amazing, whatever, you know, it loses that sense of grandeur a little bit. And, and I think that's kind of what happens. You know, remember the first time you ever flew in an airplane? Wasn't it exciting? You're sitting in there, the anticipation of the plane taking off, and then it starts to take off, and you feel that lift, and maybe you remember how, how cool it was when they came and gave you free Coke and free, and free whatever the snack was that day. And remember how scary it was getting ready to land. Now, if you fly a lot, that thrill quickly goes away, doesn't it? I have to fly somewhere and like, <sighs> I have to fly again. I have to sit in that stupid cramped little seat. I don't know why I can't fly first class. You know, got to eat this nasty food, and I hope the guy who's sitting next to me doesn't smell. <clears throat> but you know, none of the things, none of that stuff mattered the first time. You know, because there was that sense of excitement. Or imagine it like this: you know, the perfect meal to me is a nice grilled ribeye and some a baked potato and a corn on the cob and some smoked macaroni and cheese. And, you know, I could eat that every day. But in reality, if I had to eat that every single day for three meals a day, it'd lose its appeal real quick, wouldn't it? You know, you begin to want something different after not very long at all. <clears throat> and I think that that's kind of how our faith works sometimes. Sometimes if we're just riding on that initial conversion experience and we're not adding anything new to our faith, after a while it just becomes familiar. It just becomes sort of old hat. If we're not experiencing new degrees of the faith and, 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 the, and the blessing or the grace and the blessings of God, our faith, it just sort of becomes, eh, sort of becomes passe a little bit. And I think the key to not becoming complacent is keeping things in your relationship with the Lord fresh and keeping them new. Reading the Bible, <clears throat> discovering new things about God, continuing to spend time getting to know who He is, learning more and more about Him. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're always, always singing new worship songs. Right? If all you're singing is... is Lord, I lift your name on high and how great thou art, every single service, it just kind of, it gets old, doesn't it? Right? It kind of gets boring, it gets stale. 
And that's why the worship team takes so much time to, to learn new worship songs. Because as we, as we sing our praise and we acknowledge who God is, it, 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 it stirs our souls. And singing different choruses, singing different songs about His glory and His grandeur and His holiness and His majesty, it, it helps keep things fresh. And so what I'm saying is if, if you want to maintain that, that sense of freshness with the Lord, keep that zeal, keep that excitement, you need to always be, be pushing forward, always be moving forward in your relationship with the Lord, always be learning new things about Him. Study and discover new aspects of the Lord. Get to know more about Him. And the cool thing is this. You can spend a lifetime studying the grace of God. You can spend a lifetime searching the wisdom and the mercy of God. And you barely begin to scratch the surface. His, his mercy and grace and wisdom are, are so deep and so boundless. And that's the key is to continue in that, in that forward motion, not to get stale, not to get stagnant. Remember in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is, is giving a message to the, the seven churches there in Asia Minor. And he's talking to the church in Ephesus. And, and he tells them that they've drifted away from the Lord. He tells them that they've become stale, that they've become complacent in their interactions with the Lord. And the thing with that church there in Ephesus is, is they still looked good on the outside. They were still doing all the right things. Ministry was still happening. People were attending church. The offering was maintaining. But the people had lost their passion. The people had lost their first love. And they were a, a church, they were a group of believers who were really just, <clears throat> they were going through the motions. And so Jesus tells them in, in verse 5, <coughs> Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Jesus tells them three things there. He says, remember. Remember where you once were. Remember what it was like when you had that passion for the Lord. Remember what it was like when you were on fire for the Lord, when you were in love with Jesus. And then he tells them, repent. Change your mind. Change directions. Ask the Lord <coughs> to forgive you of your complacency. Ask him to change your heart. And then third, he says to return. To do the works you did at first. Remember where you were when you were first excited about the Lord. And of course, he's not talking geographically. He's not saying go back to Duluth or wherever it was that you met the Lord. He's saying go back to doing the things that you were doing when you had that passion. Go back to doing the things that you were doing when you had that zeal. Go back and do those things again. Reading the Bible, praying, worshiping, spending time with other believers, sharing your faith with the people around you. <coughs> I think sometimes... As Christians, we, we can get stuck in a rut, can't we? You know when you have a dog, or maybe you've seen your neighbor's dog, and, and they're on a chain? And if they're on the chain for an extended period of time, what happens? Right? It might be a nice green grassy yard, but you can tell right where the boundary of that chain is, because huh? the dog keeps running back and forth, and there's a, there's a rut worn into the ground there. And, and, and it's all ground down to the dirt. 
And I think that that's sometimes how we can get as Christians sometimes. We, <clears throat> we get stuck in this rut. And we're, we're always moving, we're always busy, we're always in motion, but we're not going anywhere. We're just walking back and forth in those same eight feet. And I think that each one of us, we need to be cautious in our own spiritual life to make sure that we don't get stuck in that rut, just doing the same thing because it's always what we do going around in circles spiritually. We need to, to make sure that we're continuing to, <clears throat> to move forward in our faith. In verse 20, immediately he, Paul, proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the Son of God. <clears throat> now remember, Paul here has been a believer for just a couple days, and he's already out preaching. He's already out telling people about Jesus and about grace, and about salvation. He's already out sharing his testimony, sharing his faith. And this is one of the things that I talk about a lot. And this is one of the things that I'm going to continue to talk about as long as the Lord allows me to be up here. You, in order to be used by God, you don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to go to a Bible college to evangelize. You don't have to go to seminary to teach a Bible study. <clears throat> you don't have to understand all the minutia of Koine Greek to share John 3.16. You just have to have a testimony. And that you don't have to have a crazy ex-gang member testimony either. You don't have to have some crazy over-the-top story to share Jesus. Your testimony can simply be, I was lost, and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Your testimony is, this is who I was. I met Jesus. This is what he did for me, and this is who I am now. <clears throat> and here's the reality. People might try to argue against what you believe. People might try to argue theology with you. They'll try to argue the authenticity and the authority of Scripture. They, they might try to argue the divinity of Christ, but no one can argue against the testimony of a transformed life. You know, nobody can deny the change that the Lord has wrought in your life. And it says in verse 21, and all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? <clears throat> so the people, they were shocked with this transformation. They said, look, isn't this Saul? He came here to arrest the believers, didn't he? This is the guy who devastated the church in Jerusalem. This is the guy who was breathing threats and murder against the church. He came here to arrest the followers of Jesus. Now we find him preaching the name of Jesus. Now we find him going to Bible studies. Now we find him debating the Pharisees and the Hellenists. It's like this. If Osama bin Laden were still alive today, and all of a sudden he moved to New York City and planted a church and started ministering to the people there, that would be a shock, wouldn't it? That would go against everything that we think we know about the guy. And that's exactly the situation here with Paul. People knew him as a persecutor of the church. 
And when he's all of a sudden proclaiming the name of Jesus and, and preaching the name of Jesus, people were shocked. They were amazed. And to a degree, as we're going to see in a few verses, they were suspicious of him. They didn't quite believe him. But Saul increased all the more in strength and, was con and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So I want to note this. There are different types of gifts that the Lord gives, different types of spiritual gifts. <clears throat> and in this example, there's really two types of spiritual gifts. There's complete gifts, and there's sort of incomplete gifts. And I've explained this before using a Land Cruiser analogy because I like Land Cruisers, and anytime I get to talk about them, I will. Um, if someone were to give me a brand new 2021 Land Cruiser, fresh off the showroom floor, <clears throat> you know, and it had all the options lifted, off-road tires, all the bells and whistles, right? That's a complete gift. There's not really anything I can do to make that better. On the other hand, a number of years ago, Elias and I, when we were still in Belize, we bought an old 82 Land Cruiser. And it had been used by these missionaries who lived out in the bush by the seaside. And, and this thing, it had holes like this big, rusted through the ceiling. <clears throat> and when we bought it, it barely drove. After a few miles on the road, it overheated. It had four different size tires on it. I'm not even exaggerating. All of them were bald. Horrible suspension. When you drove, it just kind of, the steering was more approximate. It just kind of drifted, you know, and... Um, but it was a classic, and it had a lot of potential. And over the years, bit by bit, we sort of got it going. We got it painted and got some new parts for it, some new tires. We got a winch for it and a snorkel. And in a sense, that's how some kind of spiritual gifts are. You know, some spiritual gifts are complete. Either you have the gift of healing or you don't have it. Either you can speak in tongues or you can't speak in tongues. Right? Either you have the gift of prophecy or you don't have the gift of prophecy. There's no, there's no in-between. Right? There's no improving on those gifts. Other gifts, like, like teaching, they're sort of like that old rusty blue Land Cruiser. It's a gift and it has a lot of potential, but it takes time and it takes effort and it takes work to develop it. And some of you, you may have been given the gift of teaching. You may have the gift of preaching. But that doesn't mean that you're instantly Billy Graham or John Piper or Francis Chan or, or David Guzik or whoever. But you know what? Don't lose heart. John Piper didn't teach like John Piper when he started. Francis Chan didn't teach like Francis Chan when he started. Right? Paul didn't teach like the Apostle Paul when he started. Those things take time. They have to develop their gifts. We see Paul was strengthened in the Lord. Over time, Paul's preaching became more and more powerful. With practice, with effort, with training, his abilities grew. <coughs> Excuse me. And it says that his, his preaching was so powerful, his preaching was so effective that the Jews were not able to argue against him. They couldn't win a debate. 
They couldn't contend with him. It says that his teaching confounded them. Saul, in part, advanced so quickly in his teaching because he already knew the Word of God, because he already knew the Old Testament. Now, as a Pharisee, he would have memorized great portions of the Old Testament. He would have hidden in his heart. And he didn't fully understand it. <coughs> he didn't fully know what the Old Testament was teaching, but he had it in there. And when he came to faith in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, he realized what was going on in the Old Testament. He realized that the whole of the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, it was all pointing to Jesus. It was all about the Messiah. And so Saul, he goes in and he shows how all the prophecies point to Jesus. And it says that no one could argue against him. So what did the Jews do? They get tired of losing their arguments. They get tired of Paul defeating their defenses. They couldn't win. So in verse 23, <clears throat> when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. They say, you know what? We can't win. Let's just kill him. We can't win an argument. Let's just shut him up. Let's silence the voices that oppose us. And that's how the world works so often, isn't it? Don't we see that more and more in our day and age? <coughs> if people can't win an argument, they just plug their ears and scream. Right? They figure, if I scream louder than anyone else, I must be winning. Right? If you can't win an argument, that's okay, you just unfriend them. Can't win an argument, you just, you just block their comments. And you feel like you won. The Jews here, they didn't like what Paul had to say. They didn't like what Christians had to say. So they said, let's just silence him. Let's just kill him. <coughs> and we see this happening all over the world throughout history, don't we? Believers, <coughs> and I can't get rid of this cough all of a sudden. <coughs> Believers getting persecuted throughout history. And, and I've said this before, but I believe that times are changing. I believe that before long, in the U.S., we're not going to be able to worship openly. I don't believe that we're going to be able to freely proclaim the gospel message indefinitely. And I don't know when that change might come. I don't know if it's going to be in nine days or in ten years. <clears throat> but I think that there is a definite change coming. There's already, already, already seeing people calling the gospel hate speech. Already seeing, proclaiming the truths of Scripture defined as, as hateful and hurtful and bigoted and biased. And here's the thing, and we've said it so many times, societies change. Empires, nations come and go. <clears throat> and, and as we look at it, it seems like we're more on the, on the going side of things, doesn't it? Verse 24, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. So Saul gets wind of this plot against his life. He hears how the Jews are, <coughs> are preparing to kill him. And again, this is really just the, 
the start for, thank you. This is just the start for Saul. Over the next few decades, right, he, he suffers death threats and beatings and prison. As we saw last week, he, he actually, it looks like he died one time and came back to life, shipwrecked three times, got bit by a snake, right? He, he, he went through a lot. And this time we see him get away. In verse 25 it says, But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Now, this is a funny scene to me. And again, we don't know for sure, but we saw a couple weeks ago from historical sources that, that Saul was sort of a small, bald, overweight, bow-legged guy with a, with a unibrow. <clears throat> Not a very good-looking guy. And here we find him perched in this giant picnic basket, getting lowered out the city wall and hopping out of the basket and running off into the woods. And, you know, I don't think that it was that Saul was afraid of death. I think it, he knew that the Lord had a calling on his life and that his time hadn't yet come. But, but he realizes there's danger, so he leaves. And when he had come to Jerusalem, verse 26, he attempted to join the disciples. <clears throat> and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. So after the picnic basket incident, Saul heads back to Jerusalem where he had come from, where he had been raging against the church. Now, I don't know if people had heard about his conversion yet. I mean, there was no social media, there's no news, there's no phones or anything. Saul just shows back up in Jerusalem where he had ruthlessly attacked the church previously. And he says, guess what, guys? I'm a Christian now. Guess what, guys? I'm one of you now. <coughs> Can I come to your home fellowship tonight? After he'd previously broken into their home fellowships and taken them to prison? Can I come to church with you on Sunday? And apparently, none of the believers there in Jerusalem believed him. They didn't trust Paul. They thought that it was a, um, that it was a trick. They thought that it was a, it was a, a Trojan horse tactic. You know, Paul was hiding inside a wooden Bible waiting to sneak into church. <coughs> and they were scared of him. They didn't trust him. They didn't believe that he was really a believer. And we can't really blame them, right? I mean, imagine if someone had arrested your dad and beaten up your best friend and presided over the murder of your pastor. It'd be hard to accept that that person changed, wouldn't it? It'd be hard to invite that guy over for dinner and a prayer meeting. You can imagine in those first prayer meetings, people are bowing their heads, and they've got one eye open while they're praying, right? You know, as soon as the time for the meals came around, they're handing out the silverware, and, and Saul gets a spork. They're not giving him a knife. They're not giving him a fork. They don't know what he's going to do with it. It would have been a scary time. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly the name of Jesus. <coughs> so there's this guy, Barnabas. And Barnabas is likely his nickname. It means son of encouragement. And we'll see that later on, Saul and Barnabas become dear friends. 
and ministry partners traveling the world together for the sake of the gospel. But he doesn't know Saul here yet. And, and here's what I want to point out. He takes a chance on Paul. And I think we have to give Barnabas credit for this. He took a chance on someone that no one else would. He took a chance on Saul, and, and look what happened. I think we need to understand this principle, that God doesn't always work the way we think he's going to. God doesn't always use the people that we think he should. Now, we need to be wise. We need to be cautious, of course, when we, when we lay hands on people and, and send them out for ministry in the name of Jesus. But we need to be willing to give people chances. We need to be willing to give people opportunities that other people might not give them. We need to allow unlikely people the opportunity to be used by God. And I've said this many times before, and it, it gets truer and truer every time, I think. You know, I am the most unlikely candidate for a pastor. Kicked out of high school twice, construction worker. Remember um, Chris Farley in a van down by the river? That was me growing up. And it was Southern Oregon. It wasn't weird at that time, I guess, in the 80s. But I wasn't on anybody's um, potential pastor list. But God had a different plan. He wants to use people that we wouldn't expect to do amazing things. And it may well be that he wants to use the person sitting next to you to do amazing things. It may well be that he wants to use you to do amazing things. God might want to use you in ways that you can't even fathom. And it may be that you need to be willing to, to take a chance on yourself and take a chance on the Lord and be used for ministry and see what he wants to do. Remember that story in 1 Samuel 14? Saul in his... Um, or sorry, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they're out on patrol. And they come across this, this Philistine outpost. And it's just the two of them. And they come across this whole garrison of soldiers. And, and Jonathan is talking to his armor bearer and he says, Hey, see those guys over there? I think we can take them. Let's see what the Lord wants to do today. This is what he says in verse 6. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come. Let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. <clears throat> it may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. He says, come on. Let's take a chance and see what the Lord will do. And his armor bearer's response is even better. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. He says, I'm with you. Let, let, let's do it. Let, I'm going to take a chance on you, Jonathan. Let's see what the Lord wants to do through us today. What does the Lord want to do through you today? Barnabas takes a chance. He takes Saul to meet the apostles. He, he tells them the story, Saul's conversion story. 
how he'd been proclaiming the gospel, how the Jews had put a hit out on him. So verse 28, he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, and they were seeking to kill him. So Saul spent some time with Peter and John and the guys, probably learning all that he could about the teachings of Jesus, making them repeat the Sermon on the Mount over and over again, questioning Peter about walking on the water and <clears throat> asking, uh, asking Philip exactly how many baskets were left over, asking John about how much wine was left over at the, at the wedding, you know, just learning all that he could about Jesus. You know, kind of absorbing it. And then he went all over Jerusalem with them, it says. Peter and Paul and John. You know, they, they traveled the area. They made a little folk music group. And Peter, Paul, and John. Um, now they went around a ministry team. Preaching the gospel. Proclaiming the name of Christ. And for some reason... The Jews there wanted to kill Paul more than Peter or John. And I wonder why that was. Did he just have a particularly grating personality? I, um, I used to work with this, um, this Cajun guy. He was from Louisiana. And um, the guy had the funniest expressions I've ever heard. And one day he's telling me about how, how um, and I felt bad for him because he had a kind of a rough marriage. And he was telling me how he just didn't really get along with his wife and how they had a fight the night before. He said, you know, she's just like a bag of broken glass. And another time he said, you know, she's like a bag of old chisels. And um, sort of that, don't say that to your wives, by the way. Um, and, and the idea was just abrasive, you know, hard to get along with, a lot of sharp edges. And it kind of seems like Paul might have been like that a little bit, huh? And I think on top of that, the Hellenists had a special hatred for Paul because they felt like he was a traitor. Peter and John, <coughs> they never really used to be one of them, right? They, I mean, they were Jews, but they were never Pharisees. They weren't Hellenists. They weren't part of the same circle. But Paul, he used to be one of them. He used to be part of their circle. He was on their squad. And then he left the team, and he went to work with the enemy. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. The church leadership decided to send Paul away to safety, to send him back to his hometown for a while. And this is the last we see of Paul until we get to about chapter 11. And then almost the rest of Acts follows the ministry of, of this man, Saul Paulos, this former Pharisee from Tarsus. So the true church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, it says that the church experienced this season of peace. I think probably primarily because their main persecutor joined the team. <clears throat> right, And the other people who were persecuting were now persecuting him instead of the church. But for whatever reason, there was a season of peace. And the church, it began to grow in faith. 
They grew stronger and stronger as they met for prayer and Bible study, as they spent time in fellowship and in the Word. And it says that the, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it was multiplied. I want to note this here as we close. Through the Holy Spirit, the church grew in numbers. If, hypothetically, every Sunday after church, we had a huge, free, all-you-could-eat meal with brisket and ribeye and fried chicken and carnitas and apple pie and Mexican Coke, and if we gave away Starbucks gift cards on the way out the door, or if on Wednesday nights we <coughs> hired a taco truck to come and cater the Bible study, I think we'd have a lot bigger church. You know, we'd have a lot more people than we do now. We'd probably be well on our way towards being a mega church. And frankly, there are a lot of churches that are big for this reason. A lot of churches have exciting programs and events. A lot of churches have perks and party favors and prizes and raffles. And, and those things aren't bad in and of themselves. But what happens if it ends? What happens if the Coke and brisket dries up? What happens if there's no more Starbucks gift cards? The church shrinks back down, doesn't it? Because those people were only there for what they could get. The point is this. We can grow. Any church can grow in size if it has enough resources, right? We can grow through our own efforts and resources. We can do big events and free concerts, and, and we can get the church to grow. The problem is, if it's us doing the work to grow the church, we have to continue to do the work to keep people at church. It always has to be something bigger, something better, something, something more exciting, something more over the top. And I have that problem. For the last two years, I had those Santa Claus costumes. And now I can't figure out what to do this year. What's going to be more over the, you know, and, and that's how it is if you're doing crazy things at church to grow the church. Eventually you run out of ideas or resources. But if it's the spirit, I know all you guys, all you can think about is that gross Santa Claus suit I had now. I apologize for that. Um, if it's the spirit who brings people, the spirit keeps them. If it's the Spirit who's growing the church, the Spirit maintains it. I want to remember a couple of things as we close. First, if you're not where you want to be, if you're not where you used to be spiritually, do as Jesus says. Remember, repent, and return. Remember what it was like. Repent of your sins and go back to that place. Second, no one can argue against the power of a changed life. I encourage you to share your testimony. Let people know what Jesus has done for you. Tell people about the blood of Christ. Tell people about the cross. Tell people how your life has been transformed through Christ. Tell people how Jesus died to save them from their sins, and rose again on the third day. Guys, speak. Proclaim the truth. Unleash the power of the gospel. 
And third, God uses unlikely people. Don't let your perceived lack of qualifications hold you back from being used. Don't let your lack of a, of a formal training hold you back from being about the Lord's business. It's been said before that he doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And I love that idea. That he doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He doesn't find the most gifted people and use them. He finds willing people and he gifts them. And you know what that means? There's hope for us, right? There's hope for you and I. If God has called you to something, he will give you the ability to accomplish it. That's good news, isn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us, Lord. And we thank you for gifting us and giving us the ability to, to fulfill whatever calling it is that you've given us. And I pray for each person here, Lord, that we would just just speak the truth. We would unleash the power of the gospel and allow you to work in us and through us, Lord. We ask that in your name, Jesus.